are walking through, as it's already mentioned, we're walking through the series we're calling Glow, and it's this idea. The reality is that every single one of us, every single one of us, leave a legacy. We all make an impact with our lives. And, you know, the temptation is that we at times might think we actually go unnoticed. It could be very easy for us, especially in the pace of life we might be accustomed to or the way we might be treated by those around us. But we, we might be able to start thinking. We might have some degree of reasons for it, but we might start to think, you know what, I don't even know if my life, honestly, if it really makes an impact. And the reality is... And we have such a huge impact. We, we are affected by those we rub shoulders with, and we affect them as well. But you know why? Because we notice. We notice. We notice when somebody is kind to us. Smile, something as simple as a smile. We do notice. Maybe not 100% of the time, but it is noticed. And you know what we also We also notice when, when somebody might be rude to us, less than kind to us, like they cut us off on the road. We, we definitely notice, you know. We notice. Because we have all been created with a degree of gravity that is able to pull towards its life something of an impact. And it's why, by the way, a life that is removed from this side of eternity is a life whose loss is felt. It leaves a vacuum. And even if it may be a small or a large one, it leaves something empty, missing from this world. Because we all live in such a way that whether we know it or not, we are leaving a trail behind us. There is something of a wake that is following us. And the way we live our lives impacts how we affect those around us. And here's the thing about it. Jesus, Jesus had many things to say about the greatest way to make an impact on somebody else. And he would do this through his messages. He would do this through illustrations. He would do this through statements and proclamations. One of the greatest places or one of the most well-known places where he does this, where he challenges the status quo and he speaks into what does, what does it look like to make the greatest impact? What would that look like? He, he did it in this um, widely known sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to take a look at it. It's found in the Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the fifth chapter of that um, gospel. And if you open up your handout, we'll go ahead and just jump into it. And this is kind of how Jesus how Matthew begins what Jesus says. He says, On one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. It's Matthew's way of saying this is a regular event. Whenever Jesus would step into the towns or the cities or the countryside, people would hear that Jesus was near. They would gather to him and they would want to hear what he had to say. And so this particular day, they found themselves on the country, in the countryside. And what did Jesus do? He went out on the higher side of the mountain so that everyone could hear him and everyone could see him. This is literally why this is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how he begins it. This is how Matthew organized what Jesus says. He says, God blesses, this is the NLT version. Some of us may be accustomed to a different translation. But this is what NLT says. God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, 
That is, they withhold judgment, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, or we would say united. There's nothing dividing them, for they will see God. They're singular in their devotion towards him. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. What we understand is that this is, this is, if we could think of it this way, this is Matthew's way of saying, this is how Jesus inaugurated what God was doing, his kingdom. We would think of it maybe as, here's the state of the uh, kingdom of God address. And what does he do? He illustrates um, qualities that you know, not, none of us would say, oh, those are terrible qualities, Jesus. Like, I don't think any of us would, would say that, at least out loud, you know. He's a great, right, he says, hey, you know, you know what, it's a great life, you know what's a great set of qualities? Those who are humble, those who are meek, those who are merciful, those who are peacemakers, them. You know what Jesus is actually doing? He's illustrating what it would look like to, for us to become increasingly more and more of his followers. He's saying, if you follow me, this is what you will become. Because who is he talking to? He's talking to people, with this, Matthew says disciples. We would say his students, his devoted, disciplined students. He says, you are going to become like this. These are qualities, these are characteristics that define those who draw near to God, who are interested in following him, who want to see what it would look like to implement his ways, Jesus' ways into their own lives. And he's saying, these are the qualities that you are going to develop into. That is kind of the idea behind this. Now, it should be stated that Oswald Chambers was the one who said, you know, these are also qualities that would be impossible to live out. If not for the very spirit of God working inside of us because they are that radically different than what we might be accustomed to. These lists, this list has been known as the Beatitudes, a list of qualities that Jesus has highlighted. This is the life that makes the greatest impact. This is the life that God blesses. This quality of life, this is the way. And we live in a culture, he was speaking in a culture, by the way, in which they did not celebrate necessarily everything he was talking about. Where was he speaking? He was speaking in modern day Israel. He was speaking when Israel was under the subjugation and empowerment of the Roman Empire. And what was Rome known for? Rome was known for its brutal force. It was known for its ability to enslave entire people groups or dominate any sense of opposition. You know what it was known for? It's power. And Jesus was speaking into a time in history where power, and in a, a region of the world where power was elevated. Not meekness. Now, we live in a, in a culture that may not elevate exactly what Jesus was talking about. We may elevate other things, other qualities. In themselves, are they... Bad? No, it's just not necessarily exactly what Jesus said this would make the greatest impact. And I was sitting in a, a course I was taking, and one of my professors, he, he decided, you know, he, he basically said, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to overstate how radically different these qualities are from our everyday lives. 
It says, but if we just would create, because if these are Jesus's beatitudes, if this is what Jesus says, value these things. Well, then that means we each have our own set of beatitudes we live by. We each live out of what we say is most important. That's what drives us. And if we were to take that from a personal level, we go to relationships. Relationships are driven. We, and then if we go to our culture, society. We know our society has certain things that it says, these are the unspoken. Where are they written? Not really anywhere. You know when we find out when we cross them. And, and you know, we say, maybe we could say this in a more lighthearted way, but we know, at least in this city, we know you, you simply, one of the like unspoken, you don't, you don't talk to strangers on BART. You don't do that, Right? That's like an unwritten rule, you know, you, on Muni. No, you, you must stay focused on your phone at all times. Only looking up to get off the bus, right? It's like, that, that's kind of an unspoken. If you, it, anything other than that feels intrusive, right? It, playing around a little bit. But we know there's some grain of truth to that. And he's saying, you know, I wonder what would it look like for our culture to write its own Beatitudes? And he wrote a list, and his name is Brian Huey, and and I thought, you know what, it, it, one of my professors is also a pastor in the East Bay, but I thought I'd share these. Now, we may not agree with all of these, but he was just simply highlighting a little bit of a contrast. And he said this. He said, well, perhaps we were right. Blessed are those who went to a good school. Those. But blessed are those who are smart. You know, those that everything comes easy to them. We don't like them, but man, are they blessed. Blessed are those who have good people skills. They get ahead. Blessed are those who have jobs that are both interesting and well-paying. <laughs> those are blessed in our culture. That's the life. Blessed are those who have the coolest gadgets. Blessed are those who find the love of their life. The romance story is their story. Ah, those are blessed. Right? Blessed are those who live in a good neighborhood, surrounded with perfect Instagram photos, <laughs> great restaurants, parks you could walk around in, just 10 minutes away from downtown. They, that blessed are those. Blessed are those who have smart, well-behaved children who don't embarrass their parents or ever make them look bad. Those are blessed. That's the life. Because they, they, they will inherit. They will inherit the good life. Right? And we might agree with some. We might disagree with others. We might have our own list. But you know what this points out? Jesus' list has a rather sharp contrast, does it not? Because what is he saying? He's saying, listen, blessed are you when you start to become the kind of person who acknowledges your need, who acknowledges your need, blessed are you, what is he saying? Those who mourn, that is, those who do not pretend or hide or deny the pain of life. They don't try to numb it, they acknowledge it. Blessed are those. God blesses those, Jesus says. Blessed are those who, listen, acknowledges the need for justice. And he would even push it a little further, and he did in this message. Not just external justice in the systematic places of our society. No. Internal justice within the systems of our own soul. Hunger and thirst 
for justice there. Blessed are those who would show others mercy and restrain their judgment. Not quick to draw conclusions. Some of these are celebrated, most of them are not. There is something of an inverted nature of Jesus' ways. And what we see, it, he almost like flips it upside down to what our culture celebrates. He says, well, you know what? If you really want to make an impact, there is actually a radically different way of going about this. And what is he saying? He's saying that these, these are things. And Jesus, this is what I love about Jesus. He was not blind to the reality. Why? Because he was speaking in a culture that didn't necessarily embrace each of these qualities. And as he's sharing this, you know what he says? He continues his beatitudes, his lists of who is blessed, who will make the greatest impact, who God will demonstrate his hand in, in their lives. He says, listen, God blesses, verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Which kind of requires the question, God, why would anyone be punished for doing right? How could that be? How is it possible that doing right creates a blowback of punishment? How? You know what Jesus is saying? You know what he's doing? He's saying, here's the ideal. And yet, I'm not blind to the reality. He's recognizing. Yes, this is what will make the greatest impact. But this deposited in the circumstances of a broken world that we know something is not quite right. Something will happen. You may receive a little bit of resistance. And that small resistance may lead to something even as lethal as what he says it. It's persecution. He says, God blesses those, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They will own where God dwells. His realm will be theirs. He says, God blesses you, and he continues to push it. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. And I think if I were Jesus, this is where I would, I, I would say, if I were in that crowd, this is where you, you would sense him losing the crowd. Uh, if you were to come out and you say, no, God blesses those who are humble. Yes, I'm with you. You know, you want to make it be, show mercy, you will receive mercy. Jesus, I'm loving this. What, tell me more. What else? If you make peace, if you strive for peace, that's a great, yeah. There's a part of us, all of us, so we'd say, yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, that's right, that's right. I need that. I need that. Are you listening? Because, you know, you could strive for peace in my life. That's, you, you listen to Jesus. Yeah. It, that's what we would. Some, but then, then he turns the corner. What does he say? Hey, don't be shocked. If because you start to live into these qualities and you start to define yourself as one who is mine, people start to mock you. Oh, I don't. What? God blesses you when you are mocked, when, when, and here's, when lies are said about you. And some of us, we would say, those lies may actually have a grain of truth, which makes it a little harder when mud is slung at us and that mud is not completely made up. We say a little tougher. Says, this is going to happen sometimes. This may actually happen. Do not be blind to it. 
He says, God will, listen, remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And then he makes this statement, this widely known statement. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is the salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. In other words, as you lean into these qualities and as you seek to follow me and as you allow your life to be transformed by these habits and these ways of thinking and these ways of being and you start to receive resistance and people start to marginalize you and people start to mock you and undermine you don't shy away from who you are this is what he's saying don't back off which is easily what all of us would want to do he's saying don't do that because the minute you start to shy away from the core of who you are you start to lose the very reason you were placed in this world to begin with you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. That's your purpose. You're meant to do what? And salt was a huge commodity in Jesus' day. In the Roman Empire, it was traded widely. Why? Because it had the ability to do something that modern-day refrigeration does. It had the ability to preserve food for extended amount of time. It also had the ability to enhance food, which is what it widely does today. But Jesus was saying this. Now, the message translation kind of highlights a little bit of what Jesus was saying in a different way. And I just like this to put it in there. He says, let me tell you why you are here, why you are on this planet. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. I love that. You're to bring out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? If you back off of who you are, who you belong to, how will they ever know of the one you belong to? No, you've lost usefulness and will end up in the garbage. You will lose grip with part of the core reason as to why you are here. You will find this life somewhat meaningless. You will find it useless. If you step away from this, uh, Jesus is telling them something rather significant. The greatest impact is made when we embrace the qualities Jesus is asking us to lean into. This, which sometimes we'll see, you know what he's saying? To follow Jesus sometimes will mean to be countercultural. Sometimes it will mean that everyone is swimming this way. And he's asking us to swim upstream. And that's not easy. But he's saying, do it. And you will make the greatest impact. You will. And it, it, in that tension place, is a lot of times where we find ourselves. And so what does this look like? How do we unpack this in our own lives? Well, I just want to put a couple thoughts up for us. What is he saying? What is he saying is that this is not a starting place. This is a journey. This is not where we begin. This is inevitably the place where we more and more will become. And so a faith journey with Jesus, what is he saying? A faith journey with Jesus will transform our core values. That if we, if we embark on this journey with him in an honest, 
sincere way, the core of who we are will radically be transformed. You know, we know there's a difference, by the way. This is a classic in relationship. We know this. We know there's a difference between stating something and believing it, right? And the classic is, listen, I, I don't want you to simply do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes, right? Why? Because we know, and some of us have done this, especially in relationships we care about, and maybe we're a little tired, or we don't really want to go down this path. And so we say the words, I'm sorry. And they come out of our lips. But there is a difference between stating those words and meaning those words, right? There's, there's a difference. You know what Jesus is saying? It's, this is not about simply stating a set of beliefs. That if we're going to do this, if we're going to follow him, and if we're going to engage in what God wants to do in our lives, it will challenge us to be open to him moving in the deeper parts of who we are. It will require something of an openness in us. Now, Paul wrote a letter to a group of believers in Galatia, and the message translation, I I thought, nuanced this kind of in terms of what we are talking about. He says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, he says, the Spirit of Christ, he would say, Let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. See what he's saying? He's saying, if we're going to explore and lean into what Jesus is longing to do in our lives, then we should be open to aligning the core of who we are with what he says is worthy of our pursuit. We might have our own set of beatitudes. And Jesus, listen, he welcomes anybody wherever we might be. But as we continue to follow him, he will say, hey, have you, have you heard what I say God blesses? Are you open and leaning into that? Will you bring the core of who you are into alignment, into what I say? That will be, that will be a good life. That will, be, that will be a life that will truly make an impact. That, that aligning of our value systems, it's difficult. You know why? Because we each, all of us, we carry scripts that say no. When everyone is swimming this way, we're wondering why we're not swimming that way either. When Jesus is saying, no, I want you to go a little bit against the culture. We each have thought patterns. We each have wounds. We each have habits. We each, you know, we, we, it, alignment is challenging when we actually start to engage with it it's difficult because the reality is the truth is humility comes from a place of strength and some of us we don't have the strength to line up with humility why because we actually are carrying a wound To be merciful is to have a power of judgment over someone else and to have the restraint of not exercising that power. And to practice that is to actually exhibit a degree of wholeness and strength. And so if we are wounded, it's going to be very hard for us to do that, which means we will have to address the wound. It was about a week ago that... um, I just finished my responsibilities for that day, and we have Friday as our day off, generally speaking, on our staff, and it was Thursday evening, and I just, I love basketball. It's sincerely 
probably my favorite sport out of the kind of the big three, you know, baseball and football. But I, I, I love basketball. And I remember making my way over here and going up the street to Dolores Park and playing. I grew up playing on the street courts by my house in my neighborhood, wherever I lived. I always played in kind of the court and played pickup games. And so I went up to Dolores Park and played. It was Thursday night I was playing. And I don't know, have you ever played with somebody that takes their game just a little too seriously? <laughs> you know? Someone who, 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 who behaves and acts and, 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 and plays like they're professional, but they're, they're not professional, right? <laughs> they're just really intense about their game. You know, they're a little competitive. Now, I wouldn't know anything about that, but <laughs> that's exactly what I stepped into. And I remember playing this game, and I was definitely, I was, you know, I was loving trying to win, that's why we play, right? But no, I'm just, but we were playing, and I remember just playing defense, you know, and, and then there was this wet spot on the court, and I slipped out. That's somebody else. I, I remember coming, and the guy came against me, and just a freak accident. I fall back, and I hit my wrist on the, on the asphalt and the concrete, and I just, you know, it's one of those things, I, I don't know about you, but I don't really like to let people know I'm in pain. And so my face was like, ha, ha, ha. But my, my body was like shrieking in pain, you know, it was like that really, really hurt, man. Like that really hurt, you know, slow down, right? It's like, and it was mad and frustrated. So they were like, oh my gosh, you okay? And I got back up, I was like, yeah, man, your ball, let's go. And I just kept playing and kept trying to win. And we finished the game and, you know, I'm walking back to the car. Thankfully, I didn't have the motorcycle, I had my wife's car. And so I'm walking back and I'm feeling, it's like, man, you know, I've never broken a bone, but I just, Gosh, this one actually, this one is tough. I've never sprained my wrist this way. You know, I've had ankle sprains and things like that. And, and so I'm making my way, and it's kind of, the adrenaline is wearing off. The pain is starting to wear on, and I'm driving home, and I make my way home. My wife's a nurse. She has her women's group, and her women's group has several people in the medical profession. And so I just kind of walk in. I'm like, hey, ladies, uh, you know, something weird happened to my wrist. You know, and the thing is, as I was playing, it felt a little funky, right? It was like it wasn't working the way... <laughs> It was supposed to, right? It was just kind of like flopping, and it's like, man, just shoot the ball right, you know? So I, I'm just explaining to them there, you know, and it wasn't bruised. It was a little swollen. You know, someone said, wow, you have two wrists on one. And I, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it, and she's like, and so they, you know, somebody said, hey, you know, like, if it was broken, you'd be in excruciating pain. Like, they, you wouldn't be able to handle it. And so it's probably not broken. I said, all right, sweet. You know, how long before I can... You think, what do you think? You know, and they were like, well, maybe a couple weeks. So just wrap it up and leave it up. And I was like, all right. So wrapped it up and I kind of just slept. I, literally, I slept this way. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And woke up this next morning and, uh, you know, my wife went off to work. And so I'm sitting at home and I cannot move my hand. It's stiff. It, it's stiff. And I can't move it. My whole arm kind of just does this. And so I, oh, no, you know. And so I'm like, I call my wife. She says, oh, honey, you you probably just need to go in. So I, I end up going in, get an x-ray, and the smallest of the biggest bones, the scaphoid right underneath your thumb, which is commonly broken, it was fractured in half. I thought, wow, man, that's intense. And so we need to cast you up, you know? I'm literally sitting, I was like, wow, this is intense. So then the real pain came, you know what? They had to, the guy casting me up, he says, oh, I sit down. And he just happened to give me a black cast, which I'm very grateful for. But he sat me down. He goes, all right, so you need to cup your hand this way because we need to bring, you bring your bone and your, your hand into alignment so it heals correctly. And I go, okay. And so he goes, all right, cup it. I'm like, 
that, that's as far as I'm going to go. He goes, no, you need to cup it. All right, all right. He goes, if you don't, I will. And he was bigger than me. And so I sat there, and he goes, I'm going to do this. I said, okay. And he pushes in. And the pain. Grown men shouldn't cry, you know. At least that's what we used to think. But I just start feeling it. I'm like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. He goes, hold it there. I said, no. It wants to go back. When we're wounded, you know what happens? Our body compensates for the wound. Our body ends up compensating so that it can mm, protect the weakness. And it gets out of alignment to protect the weakness. And to bring it into alignment hurts. And our soul, some of us, we're walking with some real wounds and the compensating factors. We see them all the time. Some of us, we have amazing defense mechanisms. Like, we are the fastest straw in the OK Corral. Somebody comes at it, it's like, wow, you're fast. Yeah, I've been trained. That's how I've survived. You know, don't mess with me. I'll come at you fast and hard. You know, we have that. Why? Because our soul has compensated. And when we start to become open to what Jesus wants to do in our lives, you know what? He started to say, bring this into alignment. And the, the, some of us, we say, yeah, okay. But there are parts of us that say, no. That hurts. But if we remain open to it, we'll become the kind of people, Jesus says, you will make the greatest impact. For then you will heal. You will have strength. You will be able to give. And if that's the case, if he longs to align our internal beings to what he says is great, you know what we also find? The, a faith journey with Jesus will do what? It will give us a heavenly motivation. It will empower us with heavenly motivation. Because what is Jesus doing? Jesus, in other places, he would say, throw parties. Yes, do it. Do it. Throw celebrations. Throw gatherings. But invite people who can never invite you back because they don't have a place to invite you to. When you give, give in secret so no one knows who you're giving to. You know why? Because when you do that, your reward is in heaven. And what was he doing? He was eliminating the opportunity any human nature has to just create a different form of a politic. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. A quid pro quo. He knew it. And what was he doing? He was stripping away. He was saying, if you have heavenly motivations, you know what happens? It strips away the selfish interests and the greed and the coercive tendencies any of us could so easily fall into for why we do what we do. He says, if you do that, you will do amazing good. If you have heavenly, where will you be rewarded? In heaven. In heaven. And we know God is a great rewarder. History is filled with different examples, just a couple. One would be our modern day, no matter what we might think of it today. We, it'd be, it's widely known. But it was people who follow Jesus, who lean into what Jesus was saying, seek heavenly rewards, that ended up thinking, you know what? 
There is a, a class of people who can afford their own education, but there is also a wider range of people who cannot. They don't know how to read or write. Let's teach them how to read or write. Many Christ followers did this in churches throughout the entire country, and not just this country, but that became the foundation for what we know today to be modern-day public education system. And why? What was their purpose? So that they could read and write what? The very words of God speaking life and love into them. To a group of people who could never repay. They did it. There was other Christ followers who decided, you know what? Some can, can afford their own mm, health practices and their own medicine and all of that. But there are a group of people who cannot. There are the poor and the rejected and the dejected and the marginalized. And the people, Christians, started saying, let's create societies and organizations to care for them which created the foundation for what we know today as the modern-day hospital system. Because people leaned into the very thing Jesus said. He said, if you do this, it will make the greatest impact. You know what it says? Heavenly motivation leads to tremendous earthly good. It's the opposite of irrelevant. It becomes the most relevant work. Because it actually benefits without requiring repayment. If that's the case, what we find is that a faith journey with Jesus will also lead us to a place of what? It will remind us to enhance and preserve all that is good in this life. It, it will call us to this place of appealing to the brighter side of human nature. Because Jesus knew, as the scriptures say, that every single person on the planet has been marked with the image of God. And that image, yes, it is marred. There is an aspect to it. We have tremendous capacity for good, tremendous capacity for evil. It, that is true. But what was Jesus saying? You do this, you will appeal. You will appeal to that part that... Um, the part that desires the higher virtues, you will start to point out the beautiful and the elegant, the creative and the life-giving, the gracious and the merciful and the encouraging. You, you will be part of the one who longs to see good prevail. You will be the one who will root for the underdog because everything in human nature desires that. You will be the one who will point out all that is good. You preserve all that is good. You will be the one who will believe and strive to believe not just in second and third and fourth, but fifth and sixth and seventh chances. You'll be that one. You will be that salt. You will be the one who will call people to the better side of themselves. you will make such an impact. God will call you blessed. Ann Snyder is a Christian journalist, graduated from a small Christian college in the Midwest. And three years after she graduated, she ended up getting a job with this man named David Brooks. David Brooks is an editor, a journalist for the New York Times, widely known, nationally known. He wrote this book called The Road to Character. It's a fantastic book. He wouldn't call himself a Christian. He wrote a book about the need our society has for the higher virtues of life. Very good read. But I found this interesting. He, in his acknowledgments, as every author does, acknowledges people who um, impacted the project. And Ann Snyder became uh, his research and editing assistant. She lived her faith out. She asked people who she knew to pray for her, to glow, 
to be able to point out all that is good and to preserve all that is good. This is what he wrote. Ansi Snyder was there when this book was born and walked with me through the first three years of its writing. This was first conceived as a book about cognition and decision-making. Under Anne's influence, it became a book about morality and inner life. She led dozens of discussions about the material, assigned me reading from her own bank of knowledge, challenged the superficiality of my thinking in memo after memo, and transformed the project. While I was never able to match the lyricism of her prose or the sensitivity of her observations, I have certainly stolen many of her ideas and admire the gracious and morally rigorous way she lives her life. If there are any important points in this book, they probably come from Anne. You know what he was saying? Anne glowed. She was the salt. And anyone, all of us, you know what Jesus is saying? You all, we all have influence potential. All of us. If we just lean into who we are. And we do it not, you know, because we don't know Anne. But I can tell you one thing, for sure. She didn't do it condescendingly. She didn't do it judgmentally. She didn't do it in a, in a coercive way by any means. Self-righteously. It's impossible that an audience would be given to that type of attitude. No, she did it authentically and genuinely, lovingly and humbly, sensitively, graciously, he said. And we may not impact national authors, but I'm just, I'm just wondering, who are we supposed to be salt to? Who do we have an audience with? Whose project can we transform that may actually hit others and may lead to that life being transformed. Jesus said, you lean into this, you will make the greatest impact. God will say, you are blessed. May we do that. May we glow unashamed with love, sincerely, not perfectly. And may he use us to be salt in the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you invite us to such a privilege of getting to be a part of what you long to do in other people's lives. I pray that you would help us, God. Those of us who have things you are longing to address, I pray you give us the courage to be open and to allow you to bring us into alignment. I pray you give us the courage to be humble and gentle, loving, unashamed. And I pray that you would use us to be what you said we were. You called us the salt of the earth. Help us enhance and preserve all that is good in our world. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.